Well, hello and uh, good afternoon. Uh, welcome to the Monday Main Point. It's actually Wednesday today. Um, it's Wednesday, December 15th, 2021. And um, I am Associate Pastor Jonathan Hendrickson and here at Rosa Sharon Baptist Church. I'm joined with uh, our, our youth pastor, Jeremiah Custer, and our children's pastor, Blake Flincham. Our uh, senior pastor, Jeff McCarthy, uh, is not able to be here in the office with us as we're recording today. Um, and so we'll, we'll miss him, but uh, we'll, we'll, have, we'll have good discussion, fellas. We'll just we'll enjoy digging into this text. For sure. That's what we always do here on Money Main Point. Um, uh, we kind of look back on the sermon uh, from the past week and do what we do anyway, which is kind of uh, analyze it and break it down and talk about the insights we, we pulled from it and things. And so uh, I'm looking forward to doing that with you guys today. So we are in the middle of a sermon series that we've entitled The Cradle, Cross, and Crown, where we're looking specifically at Isaiah 9-6 and the prophecy that uh, Isaiah gives, uh, the Messianic prophecy Isaiah gives in that. uh, For a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. And so um, the sort of motivation behind this, this sermon series was we were talking about the fact that there just sort of seems to be a cloud of apathy over American Christianity and, and over Christmas too. And, and um, where we, 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 it's not that we don't do things, we do plenty, we just have kind of lost the motivation for why we do things. And we, in looking at this, we wanted to say, okay, how, how is this prophecy that this incredible prophecy that Isaiah prophesies, how is it relevant for its immediate context for the people of that time? Um, And then how does Jesus fulfill it? And then more importantly, or just as important, I guess, is is it being fulfilled in our lives today, Mm. right? So uh, we think about these four titles that that the prophet gives to the Messiah, that he'll be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. And uh, one of the commentaries I read, guys, actually said that two of these four titles we could certainly apply to just a human. It's possible for a human maybe to be a, a, a wonderful counselor, although I'm going to argue that not in the sense that it's it means here, or or even a bringer of peace, right? If you were just talking about just a counselor or just a somebody who's bringing peace, it's possible for human to fulfill that. The other two, one of which you're going to be dealing with next week, Jeremiah, or this coming week, um, Mighty God and Eternal Father, the one that you're going to be touching on, Blake, um, those are a little more um, God-specific. I mean, it would be hard for... I don't think there's ever a time... I don't think about this. I don't think there's ever a time in Scripture where the term Mighty God or... Uh, God is given uh, in reference to a human being. Can you think of a time where, even if it's a king, the king is never referred to as God, or 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 certainly not everlasting or eternal. Um, is there? I know that sometimes kings are referred to in in you know grandiose terms, but I don't think they're ever referred to as God. In I would be shocked, in fact, that they refer to as God in the Old Testament. I'm not aware of any. Um, can, can you think of any, any other, Jeremiah? No. Um, I'm with you. They, they they do sometimes borrow. I mean, we know this because, like, the Caesars. The Caesars claim to be God. 
Right. It's one thing for them worship. to claim to be God, but I'm talking yeah. about the Bible actually referring to them yeah. as mighty God, right? I, I, a human, no, for yeah. sure, no. No. Um, no, and when you asked the question, I was kind of thinking like maybe what's going on, maybe like in Daniel 7 through 12 or something like that, but they're not sure. called God. I think a lot of them, what happened like in the intertestamental time, they were just, you know, they were talked of in like a higher, like a, like a, right. Like a very, uh, what's the word, like a kingly, mm-hmm. like a like in a lot of kingship, um, and talked about very like respectfully in those ways. But I don't think they're ever called God or yeah, I don't, I don't think so like either. That. So, so, um, so it's it, so I, I think that clearly, it's it's interesting to me because these two titles and and the same goes with everlasting. I can't think of anyone that's ever referred to as everlasting, like or eternal. Unless it's in reference to God. Right. So those two titles that the prophet gives to the Messiah says that this Messiah is going to be God. But the other two titles seem to say that this Messiah is also going to be very human. Mm-hmm. So it's neat that that in these four titles we actually get a, a good picture of the Jesus that we know um, uh, and, and we, we encounter in the New Testament. So but it, I find that interesting. But anyway, so uh, my job this past uh, this past Sunday was to look at just this first one, which is wonderful counselor, and um, I, my 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 goal in putting the sermon together, I was just talking to you guys about this, was to say, okay, well, how would he have been viewed as wonderful counselor in the immediate context that Isaiah is dealing with, and so. Largely, I stayed right there in Isaiah seven through chapter seven through twelve, um, but I also wanted to show how when Jesus came, he was clearly the fulfillment of that prophecy, and further that he's the continuation of that prophecy for us today, in particular through his Holy Spirit. Mm. And so, that was sort of the tack that I, I used, or the tactic I used, and the method I used in in, in uh, talking about this. So um, uh, I started off, guys, with I'm looking at these titles, and sometimes I have heard it, and I'm sure you guys may have heard it this way too. Uh, some people break this into, instead of four titles, break it into five, and they make wonderful its own title. Yeah, I've seen in some, uh, I can't remember which specific English translations, but it's wonderful, comma. Counselor. Yeah, right. And I and I um and I know of course if you think of Handel's Messiah, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. there's wonderful counselor, right? Yeah. And so uh, it seems as though there's a, like at least Handel saw them as as two different things or you know, at least decided to put a big space in between those words. And so I think that some people do that. I tend to think of these as together, mostly because when we look at all four of these titles, it seems that each one has a qualifying term that goes along with it, right? Mm-hmm. So you have wonderful counselor, you have mighty God, you have eternal or everlasting father, and then you have um, peaceful prince or prince of peace, right? So um, that's the way that I handled it um, and handle it. <laughs> sorry, that's, that's a horrible pun. Wow. Uh, that was really uh, bad. I'm sorry, folks, to the audience. Uh, yeah, that was bad. Uh, so because I, because I viewed it that way, 
the the I thought it necessary to start off and say, well, what does it mean to say he's wonderful? Mm. And uh, what does it mean when we say wonderful? Because and I guess part of this is because words mean different things to us today than sometimes I think they mean in Scripture. Yeah, you know, and uh, when I think of wonderful, um, I don't always. I don't know if if I say you know, oh, if you ask me, Jeremiah, how was your day? I'm like, oh, it was wonderful. It was good. You know, it was a wonderful day. Yeah. That doesn't necessarily, you know, it just means, oh, it's a pretty good day. Or is a yeah. I thought when you were talking about the um, when you're at the sermon, you didn't use this example, but I thought you know some people use it like sarcastic too. Yeah, it's like, true. Oh, like how was your day? Oh, just wonderful. You know what <laughs> yeah, I'm saying? You're right, right, saying? right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's we we use it kind of casually, and I think your your argument and it was excellent from the scriptures that that this mean is this word this particular word just because we use it so often in the English and we can use it for a variety of things, but I think by and large we use it for like just like you said a little bit above average. So just not not average, not not necessarily good, just a little bit above like like a good day. Right. I've had a wonderful day. You know, it's that, that, that's exactly nothing to complain about. Right. Nothing to complain about here. Um, I, I will say, and I'm, I'm trying to pull it up right now because I think it's important. Um, I, I do want to bring up the the verse that I use, which I think is Judges uh, 18.13. Is that what I... Let me pull that I thought up. you might have it in front of you, but... I Well, I do, but what I want to do is what I didn't have time to do in my sermon, which is give you guys the actual word that's used there because and i was careful with this um word studies are interesting right and yeah. I, I like doing them i think they're important and they, they give us insight unfortunately i am not a uh I, i've taken greek but i've not taken hebrew and so um when i saw in a commentary um that uh Somebody had said, made the comment that these that wonderful is uh, if if you look over in Judges thirteen eighteen, you see that same word being used again, and that it means more than just um, you know better than average or whatever, right? Yeah, it means right. in fact, it means beyond comprehension. And I okay, so Judges thirteen eighteen, you have Manoah, who is the father of uh, Samson. And uh, he's being visited by an angel of, of the Lord. Most think that this is a theophany, right? Most people think that this is uh, a, visu- uh, a visual manifestation of God. Um, and so he asked the angel of the Lord, what's your name so we may honor you when your words come true? And the angel responds, why do you ask my name? Since it is wonderful, Right. So I'm like, oh, that's pretty cool because um, if you look up that same verse, say in the NIV, it's translated, why do you ask my name? It is beyond understanding. Mm-hmm. And so then I went and did a word study. I'm like, okay, is this just NIV just saying this? Yeah. Or is this when we look at the word itself? So when I did the word study, the one that's used in Judges 13, 18 is a word, and I'm going to butcher the pronunciation here, okay? But it's it's like uh, Pili. Right, P E uh, with a hard E, and then L I, so P I or P Lee or something, right? Yeah. Um, and it means is beyond comprehension. That one does, but 
and this is where I had a little bit of trouble. When you go to, and I'll go there, um, Isaiah 9, 6, uh, and you look at the Hebrew for, for what is translated wonderful there, it is pele. Uh, it's it's P E L E, mm. and Strong's um, uses two different words here for these. Like they're two different entries. The one in Isaiah nine six that's translated wonderful is Strong's sixty three eighty two, right? The other one I think is sixty three eighty three. It's clear that they're using the same root. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I didn't have a problem. So I, so when I when I mentioned it in the sermon, I want to be really careful with it. And I said they sh- they share a similar root to one another, and so I think it's safe to say that when Isaiah nine six is saying this, it's okay to think of it this way. Further, and I didn't mention this when I did look up the Strong's definition for the word that's translated wonderful in Isaiah nine six. It's translated a miracle or miraculous. So. If it is miraculous, even that would be beyond understanding. So I didn't feel bad about saying that when it's calling him Wonderful Counselor, it means something bigger than our interpretation of Wonderful. I know that's going way into the weeds here, but for the podcast, I think it's kind of fun to do this. So that's... I I just kind of want to do a little bit of clarification just from a... a, this This is the kind of thing... This is sort of the care that we take when we're doing... When we say things on a Sunday morning, or when I say things on Sunday morning about words, I, I'm not a Hebrew scholar. I'm going to go and I'm going to check Strong's out. I'm going to look at all that and make sure that what I'm saying is accurate. You know what I'm saying? And I think it's um, – I'm actually glad you bring it up. And um, for our listeners, um, just doing word studies, it doesn't necessarily have to be just like a pastor thing. It's not like we have special like websites to do this. This is on – Free websites. I'm, I'm assuming you went maybe Blue Letter Bible. I actually went to Bible Hub. Bible Hub. I okay. like it. I like it because you can you can click on it and you can click he, the Hebrew and you can click the Greek and it'll do a breakdown word by word yeah. and show you um, and it'll actually tell you it'll actually even tell you the tense is being used, the yeah. part of speech that it is, and everything. If you really want to get like we are here, if you really want to yeah. get into the into the weeds of this, yeah. but look, I think it's a, a okay. If we're going to talk about the fact that he's a wonderful counselor, we need to understand what it means when it says wonderful. And, um, and you know, uh, I think that that's uh, a worthwhile endeavor anyway to me. Yeah. yeah. Either way, I mean, clearly it means more than our casual how we use it. Right? How right. it's used in 2021. Let's put it that way. I think at one, at one time it meant more, but we do this all the time. Like we use words that that we, we want to emphasize with and that right. becomes so common and so casual so cliche that almost. it doesn't mean what it really should mean. Well just take the word hate, right? Like I, I can say, you know, uh, I, I you know, you might you might have a Carolina fan that says, I hate Duke. Oh yeah. Or 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 uh, you know or or I hate everything about Duke. Well that's that's a little bit of hyperbole. Yeah. When you're talking about hate, Hate in a biblical sense is is really really bad. You don't yeah. you don't hate anything. That's like some serious stuff. It is serious. I think of like when like God says he hates uh, he hates sin. He doesn't mean hates. he doesn't mean it the same way that a Carolina fan hates dude. No, right? I mean there's 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 a difference between the way we're viewing hate. But because we're so familiar with these terms, I think sometimes we bring our own familiarity to the term to our interpretation of it when we find it in scripture and I think we misinterpret it sometimes that way. And I think 
um, it's so important to, you know, I'm not saying that we all have to be Greek and Hebrew scholars in order no. to understand the Bible, but for study, for true Bible study, maybe not Bible devotion time, but for Bible study, it is important to look at a few Greek words you know, or, or Hebrew words. I think of just like the word love. You know, it's important, like if you're reading a passage on love in the New Testament, mm-hmm. um, it's important to know what kind of love it's being talked about because English, I hate to say it, but English somewhat limits the, our, I don't want to say limits the scripture sometimes, mm. but it can limit us in knowing what the scripture is really trying to mean if we just look at the English. Right. Because, like, there's like three or four biblical ways to trans, to uh, describe love. And, right. Um, but they're all translated love. So it's important to know, like, what kind of love is being talked about there. That way we can know the meaning, and that way we can apply it. And I think it's so important that you did that for us. Yeah. yeah I, well, and here's here's another reason why I think it's, once I've discovered what it meant, why I thought it was so important to actually include this in the sermon. Um, because if he is wonderful counselor in the way that, that, that I'm understanding that, that can no longer be applied to a human being, right? Yeah. Because if he's if he's a counselor beyond our understanding or a miraculous counselor, then that's clearly some something else entirely than what a human can fulfill on their own. There's so, a divine nature to it. There is, yeah. There's some sure. kind of, and I, I dare say that uh, you know I'm not good. You know I think you're dealing with Prince of Peace, and that might be the one that's closest to being purely human. But I think even if you start looking at that word Prince and what it means to be. A, what what the what the prophets entailing? I think that even that is going to be a divine thing as well. We'll we'll wait and see once you get there. But um, I I'll be interested in see see what you what your take on that is. Yeah. But okay, so enough talking about word studies and all that. I hope I don't I don't mean to bore anybody, but I do think it's important. Um, that's why I said I think in the, in the notes I put in the outline it was like a first an important word. You know, it's like right. this is an important word from our sponsor, right? This is an important word for us to understand. Wonderful. And so if we understand it, wonderful really is, it sort of entails some sort of divine nature, then um, it, it changes the way we look at counselor. So um, I broke this down, guys, into three different ways in which he is, uh, in which he's a counselor to us. I'm sure that we could, you know, we could probably do this in in other ways. But these are the three that when I read Isaiah 7, chapter 7 through Isaiah chapter 12, these are the three sort of aspects of counseling that I detected along the way and and decided to sort of um, home in on. Um, And the first one of those is that he gives us guidance. Um... So, especially in that day and age, when you're talking about kings and such, they were they would surround themselves with counselors, people who would advise them, who they trusted to give them guidance and and good guidance um, in in things. And Judah, um, on the brink of being invaded because they're sister nation Israel has partnered up with uh, Syria. Aram, and um, and now and they're they're coming after Judah, and on top of that, the prophet is prophesying that Assyria is coming. Assyria we know is going to wipe out Israel and, and send them into exile, 
and they're gonna they're gonna attack Judah as well. It won't destroy Judah. They'll they'll be left for the Babylonians to do later on. Mm-hmm. But at this moment, Judah's scared. It's safe to say Judah's scared, um, and is looking for help. And they think they've come up with a political solution. And Isaiah the prophet is saying, uh, um, "No, ask God for a sign." He's like, ah, "I don't need a sign. I don't want to ask. I don't want to test God." And he's like, "All right, fine. I'll give you a sign." And that's when we get Isaiah nine six, right? So um, I think the first thing we need to understand is that um, they're looking for guidance. And not only were they looking for a political solution, but when we look in Isaiah chapter 8, guys, it sounds to me as though the prophet is saying pretty clearly that these guys were not consulting God as a counselor, but they were consulting spirits of the dead and the spiritists um, who chirp and mutter, and that they were consulting the dead on behalf of the living. And so it sounds like they were basically... Uh, going to mediums and spirits and consulting the dead, you know, uh, they're like not quite Ouija board, but you know, they're like yeah. you know that something along those lines, right? Like they're, what do we do? How are we going to avoid this? What, what advice would you give us? Oh, and maybe I don't know. They're maybe they're trying to consult with at this point, maybe King, you know, they might have been trying to consult with King David or or uh, King Saul or someone like that, one of the early kings and. Uh, you got us through these difficult times. What would you do in this case, O king? Right? That kind of thing. And uh, regardless, the prophet says that if they're going to do this, first he says, should should they consult the dead on behalf of the living? To the law and to the testimony, if they do not speak according to this word, there will be no dawn for them. And then there's all this language that, that um, those who don't, seek um, God for guidance are going to be destined to wander through the land uh, dejected, hungry, uh, blind, basically. They're going to wander through distress and darkness and gloom. And you get these notions of confusion and fear and being driven into this thick darkness. And so um, I think one of the things that I said in the message was that the prophet's words here, I think, should remind everybody, um, should have reminded them then and us now, that trusting poor counsel is going to lead to negative outcomes, right? I mean, what happens when you um, when you decide that, okay, where I'm going to go to for advice is social media, or I'm going to go to um, my family and my friends, you know? Um, I'm going to go to all these other, these other sources of advice and counsel Rather than going to the living God. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's it's crazy. We we get to see like beyond like you know the eagle eye view or whatever. And for us, we're like, why in the world? Like it, it sounds to me like they're they're seeking advice from anyone, just yeah. wherever they can get it. Like I'm gonna talk to this rock, and it's gonna tell me, you know, just look yeah, at the yeah, no, 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 right, right. right. And that's why that's why I think the whole the whole thing that happens in uh, Isaiah seven, where he he's like, "Ask me for a sign. I'll give you a sign." Mm-hmm. And he's like, "No, I don't want to test you." Mm-hmm. And, and it's almost like they have this law, which God says you should not put the Lord your God to the test. Right? They're so scared of of like breaking the law that they they're not even willing to communicate with the one who wants to communicate with them. And uh, when you get to chapter 8, that part you just read, there's a part in there, and I was looking for it. Uh, it's verse 21. 
In verse 21 of chapter 8, it seems to suggest that the only time they want to communicate with God is to tell him how busted up he is. Yeah, yeah. And to to share their contempt. So basically it says, They will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry. And when they are hungry, they will be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and their God and turn their faces upward. So like, you know, being snooty and snotty towards Mm -hmm. God. And so the only time... And I, and I just think about it in like in with us. I think we do this. I think the only time like we we only want to talk to God when we want to tell Him how much He's messing up. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. We want to tell Him how angry we are and yeah. how how it's not falling into place like we had hoped or we wanted. And so we then turn to Him and and blame Him. And and I think what He's trying to say is, look, you didn't. You didn't seek my counsel. You didn't. You didn't do it the way I think you should have done it. You know the way I actually said it in my word to do it. And now you want to. You want to blame me for the outcome. You want to mm-hmm. come at me because you're hungry, and you want to come at me because you're angry or whatever the case may be. Um, so yeah, I, just the whole guidance thing, like the fact that we have so much counsel from God, so much information that he's given to us and we just ignore it on the daily. I mean, yeah. all the time we ignore it. Yep. And then we just want to, we only want to talk to God when, when we're mad at him. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think you're right. And I, I, I really, as much as I hate to say it, I don't find it surprising that they're in this scenario because I think of in First Samuel 28, uh, Israel's first king, Saul, what does he do when he's in distress? He goes and he consults a medium. Yeah, that's true. And tries to, uh, um, and raises. Samuel up. Yeah. And, and now if they legitimately raise Samuel up, I have no idea. Right, right, right. I have right. no idea. That's but he seen For he, another podcast. He, right. Day. He at least <laughs> thinks he's talking to Samuel. And right. Samuel, and he, he even, even dead Samuel, if you will, even mm-hmm. points him to the Lord. Yeah. Like this dead, through this working through this dead man, he even he's like, just go to the Lord. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't. He yeah. goes to a medium and goes through all this thing. And so it's like a pattern. And yeah. granted, they didn't have the whole written text of Scripture the way we do, but they still had some. They still had the Torah. They still had the law. Yeah. And um, and they still didn't. And that was something that was definitely well-preserved. And they uh, he even sent prophets like uh, Elijah um, and Elisha and a lot of, I think of Nathan, and they still didn't listen. Yeah. I, I, when, when you were talking about the fact that they go to, they, we want to go to God when we when we want to complain, and He's often, we, we, we want to talk to Him when we feel like you know you know, tell Him how how He's messed things up. Um, my mind immediately went to the study we're doing in our life groups right now on in Exodus, when um, when Pharaoh turns up the heat on the Israelites, mm. and what he does is he actually. You know, he takes away the, the, the straw they have and makes them get their own straw and then forces them to meet the same quota of bricks that they were making before, right? Yeah. Well, he doesn't beat. He doesn't have the, all the Israelites beaten. He has the foreman beaten. And so the foreman go to him and go, why are you having us, you know, why are you doing this to us? Um, you know, why, why did you take, why are you asking us to meet the same number of bricks when you took away our straw? And he says, well, you're being lazy and, and, and you're, that's why you're asking to go and sacrifice to your God and stuff. 
They get upset. They don't blame Pharaoh. They go to Moses and Aaron and they're like, You've made us smell before you made us smell bad before Pharaoh. You made us reek yeah. before Pharaoh. It's your fault that you know you're the one that did this. And then what does Moses do? Is Moses upset with the foreman for point? No. Moses goes to God and goes, God, why aren't you doing something? You said you were going to do something about this, and this is your fault. If you hadn't done it, I told you not to send me here in the first place. And you would think you'd think like a God would, I mean, like he gets he mouths off to, to God right right away. And so, and then God, in his in just a patient way, just immediately reminds Moses, "I am, and he, I, I am God." I, I and he says, he he goes in this huge long explanation to Moses where he uses the word "I" at least twenty times in, in, in like seven verses. It's awesome, but um, it, it just shows you what what you're the, the point in saying all that is that even these great leaders like Moses did that. They're Guilty of the same thing. Or, um, you know, if things are going my way, some will complain and will blame God, right? And it's, it's, I'm going to blame God. And um, instead of just going to God for advice to begin with, this is where I was talking about um, that illustration I used about the, the cave, right? If, if you're in a cave and I, if, if the three of us are in a cave and none of us have a good light source, um, are you, are you going to be, you know, are you going to trust me? Because um, I'm like, don't worry, fellas. I got a good feeling on how to get us out of here. I'm, I've got, you know, I'm gonna trust my feelings here. I got my gut, and we're gonna trust it. Um, or would you rather trust somebody who has full knowledge of the cave, our situation, the exit, where we, where we're located, and can communicate with you? Um, which one would you rather trust? Well, I would think that we would all pick the the person who has full knowledge of the situation, right? And yet. And, we, and I don't think anybody would be like, I don't know, I'm going to trust the dude with this kind of gut feeling. You know, I, 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 none of us are going to do that. And yet that's exactly like what you're just saying. That's exactly what we do. We, we do. I mean, we, because I, I think it's because it's practical, right? It's, sure. It's here. It's it's something I can see, something I can communicate with that, that's on the same level as me. It's not higher or so beyond me, right? Beyond understanding. Yeah, right. But in your example, right, like, we get we 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 start following the guide leader, right? The, or the person that's in the cave with us. Yeah, right? they have a plan. They're louder, whatever. They're type A, whatever you want to call them. Right. And so you follow them, follow them. Then when things get rough, once you find out there's someone who could have helped and they didn't. Yep. You're all mad at that that person. Right. 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 See what I'm saying? It's like, yeah. It doesn't make a lot of sense, but I, I do think that that's the way we, we, we behave in terms of God's guidance. Well, we know that, that um, I, I love the fact that right after those words in Isaiah 8, we get in Isaiah 9-2, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Mm. Um, it's clear that the prophet is playing off of this dark light thing um, here. And so he's saying the one to come is going to be this great light. A light that's dawned on those living in the land of darkness. And then Zechariah, after uh, uh, John the Baptist is born, um, his father Zechariah has this moment where he's filled with the Holy Spirit and he prophesies. And he prof- towards the end of his prophecy, he talks about the dawn from on high will visit us to shine on those who live in darkness. It's clear that he has this idea of of Isaiah 9-2 and, the, and, and sort of this messianic yeah. thing. So... Um, and, and why is this dawn from on high going to visit us? B- 
because he's, he's come to shine on those who live in darkness and fear and confusion and guide our feet into the way of peace. I mean, that that's a perfect picture of Isaiah 9, 6, right? So, and we know that Jesus is that perfect guide. Um, and, uh, and he's made it possible for the dawn from on high. I love the fact that the dawn from on high has not only visited us, but now through the Holy Spirit, guys, the dawn from on high dwells directly in us. We have the dawn from on high in us mm. through his holy presence. That, to me, is, is pretty awesome. I mean, and I think of keeping it kind of in the Old Testament a little bit with um, the Shekinah glory that dwelt with the people. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the, like the pillar of a cloud by day and fire by night that guided the people. That I guess in a way you could say it counseled the people on like where to go, when, you know, when to go, where to go. Right. Um, and that Shekinah glory was thought to be dwelling in the temple. And, and you t- take that to the New Testament with the Holy Spirit, him being a wonderful counselor, that same Shekinah glory, you know, was in the person of Jesus who came and dwelt among us. Mm-hmm. And he now that same glory even dwells in us. Yeah. And, and which is awesome. It is and awesome. it's like that same spirit that, uh, which who we believe is God, the third person of the Trinity, dwelt then. And God of them, that's the same God who guides us. And I'm it's awesome. I love I love I love tracing um you're talking about the Shekinah glory or the or the or the presence of God. Yeah. I love tracing the presence of God from um from the uh well, it begins in the garden, he's intimately with, with his people. And then because of the fall, he's he's separated from them because of their sin. And then it's all throughout the rest of the Old Testament, it's him getting closer and closer and closer to his people. Right, mm. so you have the tabernacle first, and then after the tabernacle, you have the temple, which is stationary. So now he's he's dwelling with the people in this in this one spot. Right, he's no longer moving about; he's in this one spot. And then we have the actual presence of God in God in uh, human incarnate yeah. in human flesh, and so he's dwelling now with us as one of us, and now. We have him, his spirit, dwelling literally in us. So that glory, um, uh, and, and we're promised that one day not only will we'll be in his presence, one again, we'll actually be able to be in his full presence like we were back in the garden. And so the whole story of the Bible is how God is drawing closer and closer and closer to his people. I think it's just really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to uh, talk about that this week. So. Oh, are you really? Yeah, okay, yeah. cool. Like with the whole God is with us. I think that that, I think there's a progression for what that would mean for them, what it what it would mean in Jesus' time, and what it means for us. That's awesome. What does it mean that God is, when they hear God is with us, is it, does it sound the same as when we hear God is with us? It shouldn't, right? Yeah. I mean, it should be. It should be slightly different. Yeah. I mean, certainly different. I, I didn't mean to step on that. No, no, it's, it's, just, it's It's just that's something that's different. always struck me. I think it's really yeah. cool about about the Old Testament, the, the, the whole arc of the Bible, really. Yeah. So the second thing that I mentioned, what, 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 uh, well, I mean, we can also kind of talk about this with all three of these. I won't go through them in detail, but um, talking about the glory dwelling in us. Um, we know that the Bible actually says, Jesus says to his disciples that when the Spirit of truth comes, when the Holy Spirit comes, that he will guide you into all truth. So we, are, we know that the, the wonderful counselor 
one of his roles is to guide, is to guide us. And he's going to guide us well as long as we're submissive to his guidance. I mean, it's um, the thing about him is, is he's not going to force his guidance on you. Um, he's going to offer guidance to you. And, and I think another important thing, too, is um, you might have to help me remember where this is at in Scripture. I want to say James, man, but uh, it says that God's not the author of confusion either. Yeah, and yeah. With him being a great God, he's not going to confuse you, too. So, and we might ask, well, I'm confused a lot. Yeah. You know, so, I, I, you yeah. know, no, that's a good point, Blake, because I think that sometimes we. We, because we don't know, we're, we're, you know, I don't, I don't know what God's will for my life is right now. You know, I, I just, I'm so confused as to what he wants me to do next. Or I, I, I don't know, I just don't know whether or not I'm supposed to take this job. Or I don't know, you know, those kinds of things, those questions we ask. As though God is trying to hide himself from you. Like he's, like we, 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 we act as though um, God's just not revealed it to me yet. You know, that God... God's, God's keeping it from me. He's got this hidden knowledge he's keeping from me, and he's just not giving it to me yet. When I think that God's given all of his perfect knowledge to you already through his word. And, and that's one of the reasons why I know you and I are fond of saying this, Jeremiah, and, and, and is that I, I think that the most sure revelation of God to us, the most sure form of communication from God to us, even co- like concerning his will for every aspect of our life, is his word, period. I'm not saying he doesn't speak to our hearts. He does, but so does undigested beef. <laughs> you know, sometimes yeah. sometimes I get a funny feeling in my tummy, but that's because I ate something that, that that's not sitting well, right? That's because of the Taco Bell I Taco ate. Bell. Yeah. Right? Well, and- that's Taco Bell speaking, not God. <laughs> yeah. So, so I, but I, you get what I'm saying? I'm not saying, I, I don't want to, I don't want to sort of rain on the parade of those people who say, because well, I do, agree, I do think that there are times where very clearly God speaks to our hearts. I, I, that happened. That's happened to me before. I've gotten guidance from Him in that way, but I feel more confident in in moving ahead when I when it comes from His Word. Yeah, I mean, even those moments when you feel. Uh, He's speaking to you in the moment or whatever. Mm-hmm. It still needs to be tested through His Word. Because if it's not consistent with His Word, then it's probably it's not, not from Him. It, right. No, it's, it, not. It, it's, it's more likely Taco Bell than God. Right. It's like, uh, <laughs> this might be a poor example because maybe some of you don't play board games. But in board games, a lot of times they, you'll, you'll play with a bunch of cards. And the cards have a lot of text telling you what the card will do. Right. But then there's the rule book. And the rule book always has its rules. Like, this is how you play the game. And then when there's a game that always has lots of cards, the rule book will say something like, hey, when the, when the cards contradict the rule book, go with the cards. Right. Well, I bring that up because as an example to, to basically say that's not how it works with with Jesus, right? Right? You don't you don't get a message from Jesus that's going to contradict Jesus, right? Like you can't. It's, it, it's not going to happen. That's it's, why in the early church, some uh, say books weren't included into the canon because right. they contradicted some uh, clear teachings of Jesus, right? So go ahead. I yeah. Just to throw that no. No. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're on the same page. Yeah. Like. And so, for me, I think when we ask that question, like, I don't know what God wants me to do, or I don't, I just can't, I haven't heard from God in a while. 
for me, it's like maybe God isn't telling you to do something new because you're not already doing what he's asked you to do. Mm. Yeah. See what I'm saying? Like, why yeah, would God like give that. you some like a new task? Right. If you're not already doing what he's clearly showing. I mean, we remind as as pastors, we remind you every week of what God has clearly told, clearly given for us, our mission and our goal and and our our uh, our will, God's will for for uh, the church. Uh, and and you're sitting over there like, well, God's not, you know, He hasn't revealed to me whether He wants me to take this job or not, or you know, God hasn't asked me to do anything lately, and I'm like. <laughs> Yeah. I, 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 there's no way I could do everything God's asked me to right, do. Right, that's right. Like, I've got a ton on my plate. You can yeah. have some. I, 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 I'm 100 percent with you yeah. on, on that. And yeah. there's some. Um, I think there's a lot of there's tons of scriptures we could point to, but some that kind of come to mind. I think of Hebrews one one through four, where it says, you know, long ago the prophet spoke in many different ways, mm-hmm. and this is getting a little <laughs> bit, but um, basically, like Jeremiah said, go with Jesus and go with the Word. Yeah. But in uh, one that uh, I go to a lot is First Thessalonians four, and let me get a specific verse for you. It's First Thessalonians four, but what it says is, uh, "This is the will of God for you." It blatantly says, "This is the will of God for your life, and it's your sanctification." Mm. Yeah. Um, and so I tell people a lot of times, like you know, if if you feel like you can become closer to God through this, then it's a good possibility that that's. Yeah, and I think you know if we're applying this to a uh, high schooler who doesn't know what college to go to, mm-hmm. I would counsel that high schooler to well look and see what the how many local churches are in that area, the yeah. college that you want to go to. No, no, and, I, yeah, that's it. And if uh, you know if you're going to a place and I don't know, say St. Louis, and there's maybe three churches around where you're at, but you but there's other college you're considering is I don't know Raleigh, North Carolina, where there's thirty churches, right. Um, it's a good possibility you could be sanctified more and have a better option to grow closer to your faith through where there's more uh, great churches right. who can supplement, you know, who can help you with your faith. So something like that. It's one of the things that I, uh, when I've when I've had an opportunity to counsel um, former students of mine who are looking at ministry decisions, you know, like, I'm not sure if we're supposed to serve here. We're not sure if this is a good position to take. Um, you know, we're, how, you know how, how do we ascertain what God's will is for us in this? And I'm like, well, here's, here's one way that you can do it is look and see, is this where I can serve God the best, right? Mm-hmm. Because if you can serve him the best, if you can fulfill the Great Commission the best at this spot, then that's certainly where God would have you go, yeah. right? That's, that, that's a, to me, that's a better test than saying, um, trying to lay out some fleece or something, right, for God to, you know, or asking for a sign or something. Sometimes the best way to look at it is, okay, um, will dating this person bring you closer to God um, and closer to, to to fulfilling the Great Commission? Um, and if, if, if not, if they're going to pull you away from God, then maybe it's not God's will that you be with that person, right? I mean, it's, it's to me, it's, it's that simple. That's that to me, that's where, and I used to be one of those people that would really wrestle with, yeah. oh, I don't know if this is God, oh, if it's God's will that I date this, God, do you really want me to date this person, or God, do you really want me to take this job, or God, do you really want me, and I'm like, and when I'm praying that way, I'm like, just, you know, I don't know, speak to my heart, or whisper in my ear, or give me some sort of outward sign, and and all along, I think God just wants me to do 
Go wherever I am, whatever I'm doing, find the place where I can serve him the best. And that is the, that's the, that's the answer, right? I mean, that, that, and, and take it one step at a time instead of trying to look 20 steps ahead. Yeah. And I'll be honest, through, I'm just talking to me personally, my own personal journey, obedience, just trying to serve the church like I felt like I was called or signed to go into pastoral ministry in 2015. I had no idea what that looked like. I was a podunk hillbilly from Dobson, North Carolina, and had no idea in four years I would go to Rose of Sharon Baptist Church in Durham, North Carolina. Sure. Going to Durham, North Carolina was like, I was like going to another country, you know. And But one thing that I did, I just wanted to like serve, you know. I knew that I was... Uh, and I wanted to get a good grasp of everything, so I served in a lot. I served in youth, children, things like that, and I just kind of figured out by going to, like to kids camp one year. Hey, I really love serving with kids, and serving kids and teaching kids. And through that, uh, through obedience, like you were saying, Jonathan, I was able to see, uh, um, like, okay, now I know that you know at least for the time being, I believe God's called me to be a children's pastor. Mm-hmm. So I apply for children's pastor jobs, and here I am in Durham. Right. Yeah, and. Um, and so through that, you know, a lot you may not know, a lot of it God's going to, you, you need to be faithful so you can see what God has in store for you. Mm-hmm. I hope that makes sense. No, I think it does. Yeah. I, I think that does. So um, because we've spent a lot of time on this first point, yeah. <laughs> there, there's two other points that we can look at. Wow. Yeah, no, it, no it's yeah. fine. It's no, fine. it's good. Well, I think, I think really... The first two points, I think, are very closely related. I, one of the things that I was trying to bring out in the second point, which is that he teaches his truth. Um, I wanted to say he teaches his truth in in contrast to those who would, who would actively deceive us. Yeah. Because I do think that there are people who mislead us, sometimes by accident, and then I think there are people who are just liars, um, who, who tell falsehoods and who mislead us. So these are people who are not just um, bad guides or inferior guides when considering the good guide of Jesus, but these are guides who are really just after things for themselves. They lie to us. They tell us the things that we they think we want to hear, um, and therefore they're bad counselors, right? And. I noticed, um, I, I spent a lot of time, or not a lot of time, but I, I looked at that passage directly after Isaiah 9, 6, which is Isaiah 9, 13 through 17, where the prophet is using these words to describe what these leaders are doing, and he calls them lying teachers, misleading leaders, godless evildoers, speakers of foolishness, right? Yeah. And, and it seems like this wasn't by accident. These were people who... the. Judah was in a bad way, needed guidance, and at the moment of crisis when they needed to trust someone, the people they were trusting the most were lying to them and and not telling them the truth. And then I said, you know, I wonder how many of us today are doing that exact same thing. How many people are trusting the words of those who don't have our best interests at heart? Not just those who are inferior in their knowledge, but really don't have our best interest at heart. Um, and how many are settling for lies that are being broadcast out there instead of trusting truth that we can receive from God's Word? Uh, and how many are being deceived right now and have no idea they're even being deceived? Yeah. Mm. yeah. So going back to 
I hate to go back to the first point, but going back to our discussion on the first point about, you know, these decisions that we have to make and you're trying to discern, you know, what does God want from me? What's his will? I think a lot of times if we're being honest, really the decision, you probably know the right answer. Mm. What you're wrestling with is, I really want to do this, but yeah. but God's asking me to do this. See what I'm saying? I really want to do this. And so when you're wrestling, right, you're praying to God, basically your prayers, you may not say it like this, but basically your prayers are, God, but can't this way work too? Can't, mm-hmm. can't like, uh, yeah. I, this is not inherently sinful. I'm not going over here to, you know, to, to run away from you, God. I just, I want this. Can I have what I want? Why do I bring that up now? And the second point is because I think if, if that's kind of what's going on, which I think, for, at least in my life, I think that's what's going on. It's always something I want as opposed to something that I think God want, like God wants for me. Mm-hmm. It's typically that kind of wrestling. Well, the lies that people can tell you, so like a, basically a lie is easier to believe if you actually want that lie. Oh, yeah. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. If you already want it, it's the same thing with arguments. You tend to gravitate towards arguments that you already agree with. Right. It's the same thing with, I think, lies and deceit. You tend to tend to be gullible or, or deceived by things that you already want. Mm. So knowing that just kind of plays into those who are deceitful and those who are the ones who, who may be trying to manipulate you or whatever, they know that they if they if they tell you you can have what you want, then they're gonna they're gonna tell you that because you they know that's an easier lie to believe. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? No, I know there's a long way to get there, but No, I think you're I think you're right. It's it's why it's why uh, commercials and advertisements work, right? Is because they tell you what they think you want to hear. Not really what the product is going to do, but they, they're going to show you what you want that product to do and, and in hopes that you'll then purchase their product because it's easier to sell that, that lie that you want than it is to sell a lie that you don't want, yeah. right? So no, I think you're 100% correct on that. So then, well, okay, well, what's the solution, right? So if, 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 if we know that's the case, and then, then what's the solution um, how do we pre- how do we prevent ourselves from being deceived in that way? Especially when yeah. we just gravitate to the things that we want anyway. Yeah, so I think an overcorrection would be what some people do is that they they always go towards things that they don't want. It's like <laughs> I, I don't ever get anything I want at that point, right? So like the, that's like that's like the person who goes, okay, I shouldn't I shouldn't, have, I, shouldn't have, right I shouldn't have chocolate, so all I'm going to do is eat nothing but Brussels sprouts, yeah. right? Yeah. So and I'm never going to have chocolate ever again yeah. because chocolate's not good for me. It, it's something I clearly want. I want chocolate, but I know that chocolate's not good for me, or it's what I want. So I need to go to what I don't want. So I'm going to punish my body and only eat the things that I don't want to eat. <laughs> yeah, and it's yeah, it's it's just an overcorrect. Uh, yeah, I mean, you just. But is there a happy the, medium? The, t- the tough. Is there a is there a way to to where what I want doesn't cause like pursuing what I want doesn't cause me to be deceived or doesn't cause yeah. me to fall into deception? I think the answer lies where we've already been. Right, the answer is always going to lie in Jesus. But more specifically, there's that verse that I think gets taken out of context a lot. But it's. Uh, 
Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Mm. I think we forget. So basically, we hear that and we're like, oh, God will give me what I want. <laughs> but you did you miss the first part. Right. What you want, if what you desire is the Lord, uh-huh. you will receive the Lord. Right. Right. You will receive more sanctification. Right. So yeah. it's, it's it just goes back. It's kind of full circle to what we were talking about with the first point. Sure. You, you pursue a relationship with Jesus. Just constantly and forever pursue and so now in my life i think the decisions get harder when it's like something that i know that i i want and i know god wants i feel like man it can it be that good right and i think it (laughs) is i think because my my desires over time they change i Mm. believe that wholeheartedly that over time the more christ works within me and the more i I give into his sanctification, the more I give into the spirit, that my desires change. Yeah. Um, and so I used to have a preacher, it was it's an old preacherism, he's dead now, but uh he would say he would say uh he would he was kind of extreme, but he would say things like, uh I cuss as much as I want to. I get to sin as much as I want to. But then at the end he'd be like, But but God's spirit has made it to where I don't want to anymore. Mm. He changes my want to. He changes my desire. Changes my want to. I like that. Yeah. So I think that's kind of where it is. It's So the key is the key is is isn't isn't in um going after the things that you don't desire. The key is to always take the hardest path. Right. right. That's not the key. Right. The key is to change what you desire. Yeah. Um to to if I desire the things of God then 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 I'm not going to be deceived away from him. I'm gonna I'm gonna actually be in line with him. This goes back to the idea of, okay, is is what I feel like God is leading me to do? Is that lining up with His word or not? Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. And I do. I'm only 32, right? I've been a Christian. I would say I'm an active Christian for like 15 years now. Like active, hardcore active. And I will say it gets easier. That like my will and God's will just seem to be meshing closer together. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying I'm I've made it or whatever. Right. But I I don't desire things that I used to think I needed. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do desire things that I used to think I would never want to do. Yeah. Right. And that's just it's just time. Yeah. Time time has a way of 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 wising, making us wiser if we allow it to. Um, I'm not saying I've arrived either by any stretch of the imagination, but there, um, that 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 you've experienced up to this point, I think will only grow over over time. You yeah. you you, I guess priorities change um, the older we get. I think and and um, it's it, it, especially once you have children. I think you begin to really begin to think more outside of yourself. Yeah, I agree. So, um, well, anyway, um, the in contrast to these bad guides, we have the, the, the one that, that Isaiah said, the Spirit of the Lord would not just, would rest on him. Yeah. And, and I, I contrasted the lying teachers, misleading leaders, um, uh, godless evildoers and speakers of foolishness with, the one who it said a spirit of would have a spirit of wisdom and understanding, a spirit of counsel and strength, a spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, yeah. not judging by what he sees or hears, but judging with righteousness and faithfulness. Yeah. And and how much greater is it than 
to, to, to be guided and tr- how much more trust can we put in someone who has that kind of knowledge, right? Like I said, he has full knowledge of, 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 the circum- of, the, of all the circumstances. So he's the one that it, it just makes sense that we should go to him. Right? If, if we really believe that he is the one who, like Paul said, said that all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in him. And if that's the case for the Christian, it's, it's even more so because Jesus said the Holy Spirit would teach us all things and remind us of everything we, that he's told us. So if the Holy Spirit is in us, then we literally have that wonderful counselor abiding in us that we can, that will help us understand his word and help us to understand the application of his word to our lives and, and such. The third point that I brought up, and we'll, we'll kind of make this one quick, unfortunately, because it, it, but it is the sort of the gospel point of this message or where I saw the gospel really displayed the most. And that's a good counselor also provides protection or security. Yeah. And so I, I said that the, the, the counselor would secure us with, with, with salvation. Um, the people of, 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 that, of Isaiah's time were far from secure. They were very insecure, very frightened, and, 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 and very much afraid, not even knowing if God was on their side or not. Right, because, um, and I and, and and I made a I made a distinction here, guys, that I think is important, which is that there are those who um, who who really don't care whether they receive God's blessing because they don't believe in God. But for the person who believes, is a theist at least, right? Believes in God, believes that, um, believes in in some form of an afterlife. There has to be a feeling of dread, I would think, or angst about your standing with God if you're not in good standing with Him. Um, for the person who is an atheist, maybe they can dupe themselves and think that they, you know, and, and they can give themselves a false sense of security. But for the person who truly believes that God is God and that He is, and that there is going to be a time of judgment, some, you know, most I, which I think is actually describing more people than not. I think there are more people who are probably believers in God than there are believer, non-believers in God. Um, I th- that doesn't mean that there's more Christians. I just think that there's yeah. more people who believe that there is a God um, than, than not. Then I don't, I don't think anybody who has that kind of a belief can rest peacefully without knowing whether or not they have his favor whether or not they're actually secure in him. Yeah. I think there's always going to be this feeling of insecurity in terms of their relationship with God because they never know whether or not God's, quote, on their side or whether God's got their back or whether God's angry with them or not. And and so there's this always this, this sort of feeling of, of insecurity that comes. And that's not what God's desire is at all. And that's why I read the entirety. I'm not going to do it here, but but... I really, really like Isaiah 12. Yeah. Isaiah 12, that hymn of praise that he says that they'll sing on that day is so powerful. Yeah. Uh, it's just wonderful from start to finish. And, uh, you know, that's why I got excited when I read it during the sermon. Um, because the promise there is, is for peace and restoration for those who would trust in him. That he would be that God that we hear about in the Old Testament, the compassionate one who is abundant and 
uh, you know, has abundant love, full of mercy, right? Uh, is slow to anger. Um, he was going to be that among the, um, and in that he would not only be that, but that he was going to be among the people in his greatness. Um, clearly, he's talking about the Messiah, and and I showed, um, I, I showed a couple, I made a couple of um, points that um, Isaiah later in Isaiah forty. Uh, makes a reference again it's a messianic prophecy talking about comfort that we see fulfilled in um in in john the baptist words when when jesus comes on the scene so it's clearly jesus is the one who's going to bring this comfort and the way he brings the security is through his obviously through his death his burial and his resurrection amen um and you know he um i think an important point in all that though is um and 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 it's one that we can talk here a little bit about in closing because we are over by a little bit or getting ready to go over. Um, but that he comes bringing salvation, but because he's bringing salvation, and he clearly says this about the Holy Spirit, he says the counselor will come to you, and when he comes, he's going to convict the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. And you could preach a whole message just on that verse, by the yeah. way. But... The point that I want to make here is that, um, yes, Jesus has come. Yes, he has come bringing salvation. But in bringing salvation, it necessitated that he also brought conviction. Yeah. And so... Not condemnation. No, no. And I, I don't conviction. think I... I didn't say condemnation. I don't no, think I said did. condemnation. you did. I but that's what a lot of people hear. They hear the message of Jesus and they think it brings condemnation. Right. Meaning that... That Jesus is condemning them right. for well, their sin. When they were already condemned. They were meaning, condemned already. Meaning that when he comes, it doesn't bring condemnation. It would bring conviction. Fiction. Yeah. Knowledge of what, of your standing with him. Right. That's a good point. That yeah. you were condemned. That Jesus even says you were condemned already. Yeah. Um, and so, um, yes, that's right. He is, but he has brought conviction. So yeah. that now... We really are without excuse, mm-hmm. so that because he's come bringing salvation, we have an obligation to respond to that in yeah. some way. Um, and um, for those who trust him, we'll find security. For those who don't, you won't have security. Um, and I think that I said this in a in another sermon uh, at another time. But I think where I think when we look at what the world really wants. Like the people of the world, what is it that they really want? And you might say, well, they, they, they want money. Or you might say they want prestige. But really, even when you're saying they want money or they want prestige, what they're really after is comfort. They want peace. I think everybody at the end of the day wants peace. And the, when I, the way I read the Bible, the way I understand it, I don't think you can have peace apart from him. Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, you can talk about that, I guess, and you, maybe you will talk about that, Blink, when you talk about Prince of Peace. Um, I didn't spend a lot of time on peace for that reason because um, I, I just wanted to focus on Counselor. But, um, but I do think that, that um, for people who, who really want peace, um, the wonderful Counselor is the only way to get it. So, anyway. Um, I, I I enjoyed this. I enjoyed the message. Uh, I enjoyed putting it together and and and, and uh, walking through it. Enjoyed walking through it with you guys today. Um, and I'm looking forward to the next three 
as we continue to look at these titles. Um, so Jeremiah, you'll be looking at Almighty God uh, Sunday. And um, I'm just curious, like just a little sneak peek here um, behind the curtain. Are you, are, are you, are you doing the same thing I did? Or are you going to look and say, okay, well, how, how is he mighty God for Isaiah's day, right? Or like, oh, what, what, what would they have been looking for? What does it even mean to say that mighty God was going to be with them? Um, I think it, you said that a minute ago. Yeah. Um, and then how is Jesus mighty God? And then how, how is he mighty God in our lives today? Yeah. Um, so are, 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 are you looking at the, are, are you going to look at that? Or are you going to look just mostly at how he is, how Jesus is God? Um, or what, what yeah so I think the uh, I'm going to start like I said kind of defining what does Emmanuel mean which comes from Isaiah it starts in Isaiah 7 mm-hmm. uh, and then um, then move towards Jesus as God and that will be the meat of of where we are mm-hmm. um, and then how does that apply to uh, if Jesus is God what does that mean for us yeah because that, that um, certainly has implications right it has massive implications. Yeah. <laughs> if he is God, then and not just so. Spoiler: Jesus is God, right? But, <laughs> but because we're really? all, we're mostly I Christians, I wanna. I kind of want to focus on like, like when we say that, it's not just it's not just language. Mm. I want to put some some maybe some images or some 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 extra verbiage to to what that entails. Mm. Jesus being God. Yeah, yeah, um, I so like that. Probably going to focus a lot on the the creeds, including John one, which is our central text. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I think it, there are some some real implications for that that we don't think about. I, I think about um, was it uh, Dr. McKinnon who said everything that it is to be God is in Jesus, um, and so that's a lot. It's a whole yeah. lot, right? And so, if, if that is if, if that is the case, and I'm, if it is, yeah. um, then there 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 are some things that we need when we think about Jesus. We really should think about yeah. uh, in, in in more careful terms. So I'm looking forward to that, man. All right, that's gonna wrap it up for today. Um, it's fun, guys, um, and I'm looking forward to our next one. So we'll we'll be back here. Should be back here on Monday for the next one. So um, we will see you back here on uh, Monday uh, for the next Monday Main Point. Until then, so long and have a great day.